Heavenly Father, it is good to taste and see that you are good, to lean our arms on the windowsill of heaven and imagine what it will be like someday, Lord, to be with you, not only with you, but with all those whom we love, who are followers of Christ. And so, Lord, we rejoice and our hearts are filled this morning with great joy at the promise that you have given us of eternal life. And we thank you that that eternal life begins not just someday, but even now. In Jesus' name, amen. I love that song. That was beautiful. And Melissa's song was great, great, uh, great music this morning and great to worship the Lord. And like, how many of you were here last Sunday night? I'm just curious. You and the rest of Houston were here last Sunday night. It was uh, amazing. Uh, And we sang a lot about heaven. And it was great. And we're going to do that again, February the 8th, I believe, in the New Worship Center. And we'll have room for everybody. We had people sitting in the aisles uh, last Sunday night and on the platform. And so it was great. I'm grateful to Gerald Ray and all who were a part of that. Our choir sang magnificently. It was a great, great time. Somebody has quipped to dwell above with the saints we love. That will be glory. But to dwell below with the saints we know, that's another story. <laughs> we, um, we need each other in the body of Christ, but Schopenhauer said we're sort of like porcupines huddling together in the cold. We want to be near to each other, but when we get near to each other, sometimes it hurts, doesn't it? I love the story of the two men who were out hunting in the northern U.S. And one of them yelled and the other looked up and a huge grizzly bear was descending on them, charging at them. And the first one reached over and grabbed his tennis shoes and started trying to put them on. The other one said, wait, 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 are you crazy? You can't outrun a grizzly bear. He said, I know, I don't have to outrun a grizzly bear. All I have to do is outrun you. And he put the shoes on. (laughs) Well, life is full of bears, isn't it? And we can either outrun each other Or we can help each other. But what would we do if I could sort of shift the analogy? What would we do if God said to us, now I want you to minister to the grizzly bear? In some ways, God committed a disciple named Ananias to do exactly that. To walk right into the teeth of trouble. Right into the bear den. With the unlikely task of awakening the bear. Would you open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 9, verse 10? Please, always, if you have a Bible, bring it with you. I want us to be in the habit of of reading God's Scripture and opening the Word together. Acts 9, verse 10, found in a family. We've been thinking about who we will be. We are five weeks away from entering our new buildings. We know where we will meet. But who will we be in those buildings? I said last week, we will be connected with Christ. Today, I want you to see how we we are connected in community. Let's stand together for the reading of God's word in reverence for our God. God speaks to his people when we open his word and we read it. Follow with me. Acts chapter 9 verse 10. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias? Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. 
In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer For my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. You may be seated. Tough task. Wow. God uh, calls Ananias' name and says, I've told Saul of Tarsus that Ananias, that would be you, is coming over to lay hands on him and to heal him of his blindness. And the only thing that we're waiting on is you, Ananias, to go and be faithful and obedient and... I love about God that He not only invites us to do easy things, but sometimes He asks us to do the seemingly impossible, things we could never do apart from Him. And when we are obedient to Him, we see God work in ways that we could never have imagined. This is the greatness of our sovereign God. Now, the moment that Saul was arrested in the road on the way to Damascus, he became a believer in Jesus Christ. He met him. We would say he was born again. But only three days later did he discover that he was born into a marvelous and wonderful family. People that he had persecuted became the very people whom God used to bless him, to accept him, to receive him, to hold him accountable. And the very people he had been confronting and persecuting became the very people whom God used to bring him to wholeness and healing and fruitfulness In the kingdom of God. It's a great story. It's a great moment. When God takes somebody named Ananias. Whom we've never heard of before. And we only ever hear of again. When when Paul tells this story in Acts chapter 22. And says he was a devout man. Highly respected by all of the Jews. We don't know anything about him. But God takes a sort of nameless person. Forgotten by many in the world and God chooses to use him to activate the greatest leader in the history of the church. And not only changes his story, but changes history. And God allows us to be used by him in such powerful ways. If you and I are willing to receive it in a culture that has made Christianity a solo sport, a very individual sort of exercise. I know when I was saved, it's me and Jesus. This passage reminds us that we are not only born again by the grace of God, but we are born again into the family of God. We are born into community. And if discipleship happens at all, It happens in community. 
It happens in relationships. And God moves into the hearts of human beings through the hearts of other human beings. And Saul was saved on the road to Damascus, just him and Jesus. But he became a disciple through the grace of God flowing through the body of Christ. And in this world where we can feel so isolated and we intentionally insulate ourselves, I want to invite Tallowood again to be intentionally inclusive, to find the last, the, the, the lost and the, the least, and to incorporate them into the body of Christ the same way we have been incorporated into the body of Christ. I want to show you what discipleship is about because if you ask me who we will be, I will say to you, we must be disciples connected to Christ and connected to each other in community. The book of Acts rarely ever mentions, the Bible rarely ever mentions the name Christian. But the word disciple is infused in every, seemingly every line. And between the lines, the church is made up of disciples. And disciples, at our very rudimentary level, are learners. That's what the Greek word manthano, uh, to teach, mathetes, disciple, learner, means. And how do we as disciples learn? We learn by listening to the voice of God and by obeying that voice as he calls us to be on mission for him in the world. And, and God didn't want Saul to miss his mission. And I don't want you to miss your mission. So God spoke to Ananias and to quote the old uh, uh, gospel country song, uh, Ananias just had a little talk with Jesus. And for Saul, it made it right. Because Ananias hears God's voice speak his name. That must have been a magnificent moment in that vision that he had had. God was active at the same time Saul had, had a vision that Ananias was coming. Can I show you the, dis- the distinction in the way that Ananias hears God's voice from the way that Saul did? In verse 5, we see Saul hearing Jesus' voice and he says what? Who are you, Lord? He doesn't know Jesus. Who are you? He doesn't know that the one he's been persecuting is the Lord of life. Who are, he knows he's a great, powerful, whatever, is, whatever this loud light is, is very powerful. Who are you, Lord? Kurios, he says. On the other hand, Ananias just enters into a conversation. Yes, Lord. Uh, as if he's not even surprised. Are you surprised? As I read this text, I'm not surprised that Ananias is not surprised. I'm not. Because he lived with such an intimate communion with the Father. He knew Jesus on better than a second-hand basis. It wasn't something his family had done. It was something he had done. He knew the Lord Jesus Christ. And he had become conversant in conversation with God. He had learned to listen for God's voice. And God spoke to him and called him by name. Do you remember when Don Thomas came when we had the Renovari conference some years ago? We're about to have another one with Memorial Drive Presbyterian in five weeks. And, uh, but when Don Thomas was here, he sang this song. He knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls and hears me. When I call, that is an intimacy that you and I must know in relationship with Christ, that God knows our name, just as he called Saul by name. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He calls Ananias by name, Ananias. But the difference is Ananias knows who God is 
And in knowing God says, yes, Lord. It's as if he's saying, like Samuel said when he saw the vision and heard the voice, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And we are tempted these days to think, well, that used to happen a lot. Back in olden times, God used to speak and people used to listen. And Amos envisioned a day when there would be a famine, not for food, but a famine for the word of God. And people would drift to and fro across the land looking for some word from God. And if God is not speaking to us, I venture to say it's not because he doesn't want to, but because the audience is not listening. No wonder Jesus said, let him, let her who has ears to hear, listen. Is the audience listening? Are our hearts attuned? Are we tuned into the frequency of God's voice so that when he speaks, we hear? It's, you know, the prophet Isaiah wrote in Isaiah chapter 50, verses 4 and 5. The sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue so that I may speak a word to the weary He wakens me. He wakens me every morning. The sovereign Lord has given me the ear of a disciple so that he may open my ear and I may speak his words. And Ananias was not prepared to speak to Saul until Ananias heard the voice of the Lord. And if you're going to say something to somebody, be sure you have something to say. And here's how you will know that you don't just have to say something, but you actually have something to say. If you have heard the Lord speak to you, is it audible? No, it's louder than that. And God speaks if we will listen. And disciples learn By listening, I'm asking you this week to cultivate in your time of prayer the ear of a disciple. I'm asking you not only to talk to God, but also to listen to God and to listen long enough that you know what he wants you to do that day. Because God says to Ananias, I've already told Saul you're coming and God has already set for you. If you will receive it, divine appointments this week and he wants you to keep them. But if we're not listening to his voice, we'll never even know. We may blow by the very people that God wanted us to touch because we didn't take the time to listen. I just have to say to you, I'm not safe to go outside until I've spoken to the Lord. I've done it before. I've gone outside and embarked upon my day and said, I'll get to my devotional time later and come, come back later in the day to confess to God, if only I had listened for your voice first, I wouldn't have said what I said. I would not have done what I did. Disciples learn by listening. Disciples learn by obeying. In Greek, um, the word for listen is akuo. That's the language in which the New Testament is written. My New Testament professor, Richard Cutter, said that the perfect language. I don't know about that, but God did choose it for the writing of his New Testament. And the, the, the Greek word for hear or listen is akuo. Now listen to this. The Greek word for obey is hupakuo. It's the same word with just a little prefix to be under, to listen under, to come under the authority of another. And Ananias has a conversation with God. I love it. God speaks and Ananias listens. Ananias speaks and God listens. God speaks and Ananias obeys. Because once we've heard God's voice, then it's time for us to obey, to submit to God's authority. Now, I think he's got a legitimate concern here when he says, uh, I'm a little bit worried, Lord. And the Lord breaks it to him gently. Notice there in, in verse 11, the Lord breaks it to him gently and says, you're going to go to the house of Judas. He lives on straight street. 
And you're going to ask for a man from Tarsus. Still, it hasn't registered. And by the way, his name is Saul. Oh, Saul of Tarsus. Now, Ananias knows who that is. And he begins to speak back. I wouldn't say talk back, but he, he says, uh, Lord, verse 13. And hasn't he already given God the answer when he calls him Lord? Lord, he says, I've heard many reports. I've heard from many people. Here's the thing. We've heard many voices. Even today, this week, we've heard many voices. But there is one voice we need to hear. We need news from another network. And God speaks to him. He says, I've heard many voices. And they say that Saul has both the authority and the aptitude to inflict a lot of harm on the body of Christ. He might cause me to suffer the way he's caused those Christians in Jerusalem to suffer. But God isn't worried about Ananias suffering. With apologies, God is worried that Saul may miss his mission and miss his chance to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ, the name that he once persecuted. Notice the name here. He has caused great harm to those who call upon your name. And God answers Ananias and says, well, yes, but he needs to speak my name before Gentiles and their kings and the nation of Israel. And by the way, tell him when you go see him, he's going to suffer for my name. He used to cause people to suffer for calling on the name of Jesus. But now that he's called on the name of Jesus, he gets to be the one who suffers. He gets to fulfill my mission. Can I just say as your pastor, I'm not worried that you will suffer. I'm worried that you and I will so flee from God's purpose in our life that we will not only miss the suffering that comes with following Jesus, but we will also miss the glory that comes when God brings us through that suffering. Can I testify this morning four or five times in my life I have been hurt deeply and I would not trade those four or five occasions for all of the happy times in my life put together because I learned more By saying to the Lord, your grace is sufficient for me than in all the times when I happily went about my way without any pain in my life. I've learned to pray with a friend of mine, Lord, don't waste this pain. If I have to feel this, then I want to learn what you want me to learn from this so I never have to go through this suffering again. And God is not worried that... that Ananias might go through some pain. He's worried that Saul will miss the pain that will come from being obedient to him. To obey is to listen under. And once Ananias has heard God out, in verse 17 it says he went. Those are beautiful words. God said go, and the scripture says, and he went. What has God told you to do? What has he told me to do? And have we done it? And by the way, I'm not sure God's going to give us a new message until we fulfill the one that he's already given to us. And he went, he obeyed. And we either live our lives under the authority of the sovereign Lord, or we are miserable trying to live our lives our way. C.S. Lewis says, there are only two kinds of people. Those who say, thy will be done. Is that you? Or those to whom God says, okay, then. Have it your way. I don't really want it my way. I really want it his way. And so do you. If we, if we knew, if we knew what God knows, believe me when I say we would want what God wants. If we knew what he knows, we would want what he wants. Even if it means going through difficulty, we would want what he wants because God has this eternal cosmic perspective. My hero growing up was a man named Roger Staubach. Um, forgive me if you were a Houston Oiler fan, but 
I was over in Germany. I had to pick a team, and the Cowboys were really good. And not only that, but Tom Landry was a Christian. That meant a lot to me as a young uh, junior high school preacher. And uh, the fact that Roger Staubach was also a Christian, that meant a lot to me too. So imagine my surprise when I found out listening to uh, Vern Lundquist that, uh, uh, that in fact these two, Pat Summerall, remember that voice, uh, listening to them on television, that sometimes Tom Landry and Roger Staubach didn't agree with each other. And the, the, the crux of the problem I read this week uh, was that Roger Staubach said, I didn't like the fact that Tom Landry called all the plays. Remember, Roger the Dodger, he liked to improvise, but... Tom Landry liked to follow the script and it created a conflict. And Roger Staubach said, it just bothered me that I couldn't call my own plays. Here I was a a graduate of Annapolis. Here I was the Heisman Trophy winner and I couldn't call my own plays. And then he said, I came to the day when I finally surrendered to the authority of the coach. And something happened. There was harmony. There was tranquility. And best of all, if you're a Cowboy fan or you were, there was victory. There was vi- we started winning games when I started doing what the coach told me to do. And I believe that his story is our story. That you and I can spend our lives at conflict with the will of God or we can surrender to his will and obey as difficult as it is. But I want you to remember the words of B.J. Miller this morning. B.J. Miller said, it is better for a Christian to do the will of God even if it's hard than to spend life not doing the will of God. And experience the consequences of that. Even though it is hard to do His will, God's will is the only place you and I want to be. Disciples learn by listening and obeying. Can I show you something else about disciples? Starting with verse 17 through verse 19. Disciples love by touching, by talking, by teaching, and by envisioning great things in the lives of other people. Notice the way that he responds when Ananias goes. It says he touched Saul. I'm thinking that must have been hard. I'm thinking, am I wrong? That his hands were probably trembling as he reached out to touch Saul, who had been persecuting Christians. He had gone right into the den of the lion, like the two gentlemen who found themselves on a safari face to face with a lion. And one said, you read the book. I read the book. What you have to do is be very still. Don't make any sudden moves. Stare the lion in the eyes. And his friend said, I've read the book and you've read the book. But has the lion read the book? I need to know before I practice what the book says. And I'm guessing Ananias is thinking, has Saul read the book? I know, I know, and God has already told him that that Saul is praying with an A, not an E. He used to be praying upon people, but now he is praying and talking to the Lord. But it's a struggle, I'm sure, for Ananias to reach out and touch him. But the truth is, I suspect at that moment there was no more lonely Christian on the face of the earth than Saul. Who are the people you know who are lonely, who live their lives without ever experiencing human contact? I have friends who say to me, I go weeks at a time without ever touching another human being. Imagine that loneliness. This is where Saul is, very much alone in the world. Imagine the discovery, Eureka, I have a family to be touched, to be cared for, to be ministered to is... A marvelous gift that you and I can give to each other. The scripture says, uh, uh, extend the right hand of Christian fellowship. The scripture says, uh, greet each other with a holy embrace. Why? Because we need to touch each other. I understand how dangerous and risky that can be in our culture. But I just want to point to you that it's very risky not 
to care for other people, not to care for souls, not to embrace those who are lonely. And Ananias fulfills the will of God. That happens in community. I've been worrying this week. I noticed, maybe you noticed as you drove up, there's always something different these days, but they planted the new trees out there in front of the new worship center, the new sanctuary. And I heard Larry Heslip say we were going to plant new trees, but I was envisioning them being this tall or maybe this tall. No, these are big trees. Now, stay with me. I was I was just troubled for the trees this week. I was thinking, you know, what would it be like to to grow in a forest for I don't know how long, 10 years or something to get that big and then to be uprooted and transplanted. And maybe you don't care about trees, but I had Mrs. Peach for botany in the 10th grade. And ever since then, I've worried about trees. And I was just thinking, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be traumatic for a tree to grow up in a forest and then be transplanted to a little triangle surrounded by asphalt, not knowing that you were providing shade for people as they came into church? Trees don't know anything. I'm not being mystical here. I'm just saying, if it's traumatic for a tree, how must it be? For a person who's lived for 30 years in another city and then to move to a new city and to discover to the glory of God that our God is the God who travels and to see that in the eyes of fellow believers, to sing that with the voices of those who lift praise to God, to open the same Bible in a new place and still hear God speak and to see somebody reach out a hand and say, welcome Welcome to this place, because no matter where you grew up, you're, if you're a child of God, you're part of our family. Isn't it a good thing to be in the family of God, to find that we have been found in a family? For somebody to say brother or sister, I was talking with a, some folks back in Falls County where I first pastored when I was a teenager, and they call me, and when they call me, I always know where they're from because they always say, Brother Duane. Uh, they have no concern about where I went to school or for how long. Neither do I, for that matter, by the way. Brother Duane, they say. And I know who I'm talking to. Because for four years, they poured their lives into me, trying to help God help me to become a pastor. And I owe a debt that I can't pay. They're looking for a preacher these days. And I know a preacher named Jacob Robison, who's grown up among us. And uh, he's a student at Truett Seminary. And I said... Uh, to them recently, I know a preacher if you need a preacher. And they called me last night at 8 o'clock and said, we need a preacher next Sunday. I don't know where it'll go, but I love the way God makes connections. And I'm envisioning when Jacob walks into a home, that's where they meet, into a home to preach next week, that um, even though they've never laid eyes on each other before, because we have this connection in the body of Christ, they will be credible to him because... Um, I've told him how great they are and he will be credible to them because I've told them about him. This is the body of Christ where we call each other brother and sister and we call each other by name where everybody knows your name and they're always glad you came is not a place in a television show called Cheers. It's what the Bible calls the church and we share our lives together. And we teach each other about Jesus. He says, the Lord, the same Lord they've both been talking to in prayer. The Lord, Jesus, who stopped you on the road, sent me to you. Now you can see. Now you can be baptized. Who baptized him? Probably Ananias. Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, talks about him in Acts chapter 22. 
Ananias, who was respected by all the Jews, a devout follower of God, baptized Saul, and Saul could see and he could eat, and there was warmth and acceptance and relationship because we Christians are here to help each other, like that Sherpa guide who helped um, the first uh, Sir Edmund Hillary to climb Mount Everest for the first time, and Tenzing Norgay, his Sherpa guide, they asked him, they said, we heard you saved Sir Edmund Hillary's life. He said, we mountain climbers help each other. We Christians help each other. I got in my car this morning at about 6.55, and the radio was already on. I'd been listening to football last night, which means, you know what, um, the fishing show was on. Melanie laughs at me out loud whenever the fishing show comes on the radio. Why do you listen to Zeb and Jed talk about whether the trout are running in the Gulf? I said, well, it's just interesting radio, you know. And it, actually, it was just on, you know. I'd been listening to football. And, and so I, I listened for a moment, and Zeb said to Jed, I'm just making these names up, Zeb said to Jed, I was filling up my car over in East Houston and one man pulled up and pulled out a five-gallon tank of gasoline. I had visions of uh, running from Rita uh, three years ago. And, and he said, I said to him, I guess you're filling up that tank in case you run out of gas. This man who was in a big dually truck. You know what a dually is? A big dually said, no, it's unlikely that I'll run out of gas. But I was thinking I might run into somebody else who did. Filling up the uh, five-gallon tank in case somebody... I could have used somebody like that up near um, Industry, Texas, three years ago. 19 hours on the road to Temple. I'm grateful for people who help. I'm grateful for the Ananiases of the world. I'm praying that you'll be that person this week. Because what people in our city really need is a church where people care for souls, where people take care of each other, where people call each other by name and call on the name of the Lord and sometimes suffer for the sake of the cause of Christ so that we can do the work that God has called us to do. Anne Lamott describes it in her little book, Traveling Mercy. She, she tells about a little girl who gets lost in her hometown and can't find her way home and sees a police car going by and waves him down and he puts her in the front seat and says, now look for your house. And they drive up and down the streets of that town and she can't find her house. And then she looks up and sees a steeple and says, you can let me out here. He said, is that your house? She said, no, that's my church. And I can always find my way home from my church. And then Anne Lamott goes on to say, no matter how bad my week has been, no matter how bad I've been, no matter how bad I hurt, no matter how alone I feel, when I see your faces, when I hear your tawny voices, I can always find my way home. Aren't you grateful for the connection we share in Christ? And as Ken Miedema is saying, if this is not a place, if this is not a place where I can ask my questions and tell me where can I go to seek, if this is not a place where I can talk to you, then where can I go to speak. If this is not a place where my tears are understood, then where can I go to cry? If this is not a place where I can spread my wings, then tell me, where will I go to fly?
Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for a place where we can seek and speak and cry and fly. Thank you, Lord, that you said upon this rock, I will build my church and that we stand in the tradition of the apostles and the saints of all the ages who have named the name of Jesus Christ as the Lord. Help us, Lord, not just to go to church, but to be the church wherever we go. In Jesus' name, amen.